Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It is Tuesday. Time for Let's Talk Sports. I'm Kanoa Leahy coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Being joined up here by my man. He is the digital sports writer for KHON2, Christian Shimabuku. What's up, Christian? How you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks uh, for having me. It's great to be here. You know, thanks for uh, coming by. We have Josh Pacheco, who is working the board. Uh, I was out at University of Hawaii football practice this morning. And Timmy Chang, very early in the week prep process for their next uh, opponent, which is Duquesne on Saturday, an FCS opponent, coming off of a victory, one and two on the year. Uh, but for the first time this early before a kickoff to a game, it seems, uh, Timmy Chang, uh, with at least the consideration that Braden Shager might be healthy enough to play, even though Timmy Chang says he is still banged up, which I guess uh, further prompted his justification in announcing today that Joey Yellen will make his third consecutive start here this Saturday against Duquesne. Now, it has been a bit up and down for Joey Yellen, for sure. There have been some bumps in the road here. He is the transfer from Pittsburgh, started his collegiate career at Arizona State, uh, he definitely looks the part, definitely comes from some uh, very experienced types of situations. Uh, he put together a performance at ASU where he beat USC. I mean, this is, guy has some bona fides, there's no doubt about it, uh, but that was the battle, right? Those were the two main guys going into the season opener. It was Joey Yellen and Braden Shager. Braden Shager got the nod in the first game against Vanderbilt. Joey Yellen got some time on the field in that game. Uh, and then in game two against Western Kentucky, it was was Joey Yellen who got the nod as the starter. Braden Shager would relieve him, play the majority of that game. Uh, but at least according to what was cited as uh, some uh, just bumps and bruises for Braden Shager himself, uh, he was held out of the Michigan game and Joey Yellen got the start. So here we are, third time around, Joey Yellen getting the nod here. Christian, what's uh, sort of your viewpoint and reaction to that announcement by Timmy Chang? Again, pretty early in the week here as opposed to letting that linger uh, in the media and in the public for a few extra days. Yeah, I think um, you really start to wonder how banged up uh, Braden Shager is where, you know, they they do announce early in the week that Joey Allen um, is the starter. Um, and again, um, you really wonder about the quarterback room at the University of Hawaii where um, a guy like Joey Allen, who, um, as you said, has had a lot of ups and downs, um, probably a lot more downs at this point um, with his completion percentage, um, just how he looks running this offense where, you know, he's the, the guy that um, these coaches point to still – and say that um, he's their best shot at winning. So um, I think it just raises a lot of questions about um, how things are in the quarterback room at the University of Hawaii right now. Yeah, I mean, you, you at least have to speculate that some of this is born out of necessity, mm -hmm. right? There aren't too many other experienced quarterbacks in that QB room. Um, but that was kind of something that was... A little bit by design, at least when you see the way that this team prepped through the spring uh, camp uh, session, also going into fall camp where you got a lot of quarterbacks, we got a lot of reps. And so there was this pretty wide open uh, audition, if you will, for all of these guys to try to prove themselves and get into that upper echelon of the pecking order. Uh, but then it seemed pretty clear as the reps started to go, at least with the ones and twos primarily between Braden Shager uh, and Joey Yellen. You had Cam 
Shaman Cooper, who was also sort of in the mix there, that those were the, the two guys. It was going to be a, maybe a 1A, 1B type of thing. But, yeah, you, you get the feeling that, A, Shager, you're right, isn't right. There's there's something physically that is ailing him that he's just not ready to, to come back from yet. Um, and you get the feeling that, that maybe there's just not a lot of – belief in the idea of maybe going with another one of those guys in the QB room because you'd be turning to even less of an experienced quarterback behind center that Joey Ellen at least has kind of been there done that to a degree and even if his numbers aren't necessarily stellar um, that he's still a guy who is just you know old enough experienced enough wizened enough uh, to, to maybe give you the best chance but it does feel uh, this is purely speculation but it does have so of that vibe that some of this is is more out of necessity or even or even desperation maybe yeah and um i think another thing you wonder is um you know with the announcement last week that jake farrell would be the backup quarterback um why didn't he get some time mm-hmm. um especially when they were down uh, you know 42 nothing at halftime that would have been a great time to just see what you got because i think at that point you know you're not going to win the game you probably knew it before the game that you're not going to beat michigan um, in the big house. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a big game for you, H. Um, I can't really recall uh, an FCS opponent being a must-win game for Hawaii in terms of, um, you know, preserving fan interest because if they lose this game, um, I really don't know if um, there's going to be 9,000 people at Ching the next time they take the field. Um, so, yeah, I think they're putting all their chips in on Joey Allen, and let's see if it's better than uh, the first three weeks that um, he showed up. That's interesting that you say that. Uh, it, it is time for this team to, to get a dub, I think, right, to, to, to break the ice, if you will, get that proverbial monkey off of the back of, of Timmy Chang here in year one of his tenure. Uh, and we actually asked at practice this morning Timmy Chang about that. You know, he's a competitor, right? Uh, he obviously did not come into this situation uh, wanting to be 0-3. The, the schedule was difficult. I think that the possibility and maybe even the probability was such that this 0-3 start isn't a complete and utter surprise. Maybe the way some of the games went in some stretches was something that was disappointing to people. But Timmy Chang's a competitor. He doesn't want to be 0-3. I asked him this morning sort of what his processing was of this 0-3 start and where he sees it, what his perspective is right now here three games into his head coaching tenure. This is what he had to say. You know, we definitely know where our team's at. You know you know what problems need to be solved, and you stay the course. You know, it's it's hard to win games in the FBS level, um, and, and we know the challenges that come up. And so, you know, it's just it's just attacking those things, you know, uh, making sure, you know, your discipline is right on your team, your, your practice plan is correct, your guys understand what they need to do, um, coaches understand what they need to do, and, and get our guys to be consistent over and over and over again. And so um, once, you know, once the light clicks on for our guys and, and, and they understand what the what the sense of urgency and demand is and and our coaches you know push it upon them uh we'll be we'll be we'll be fine and so but you, you definitely want to taste victory you know and, and and get that get that feeling of going into another week uh you know with that monkey off your back all right, so he's thinking about it, right? Uh, again, Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Christian Shimabuku, uh, digital sports writer for KHON2, is up here as well. Josh Pacheco is working the board. Uh, he's thinking about it. He, he, he's, he wants to, to break through, and not just for his sake, to get that first W uh, for the Timmy Chang overall record, but just to get these guys a taste of victory, right? And yes, uh, you would like for it to have come perhaps against one of these previous opponents. That would have been something. Uh, Duquesne is an FCS 
FCS opponent. Uh, but this is, you know, I, I don't think this is a year where Hawaii will be able to enter the arena or wherever they are playing against an opposing team and feel completely and utterly confident that they are going to be victorious at the end of that night. I just don't think this is one of those seasons. And so uh, there were some questions that were posed to Timmy Chang uh, among the media scrum today, uh, asking basically, you know, how do you change the mindset or, or, or does the approach change from a coaching perspective when you're preparing for the number four team in the nation and a team that has national championship aspirations and a team that's in the FCS in Duquesne? Uh, where you will actually be, you know, betting line favorites and that kind of thing. Uh, and I think more or less, right, the, the, the coach speak for sure would back this up. But I think this is even further justified under these circumstances uh, that they have to treat it all the same, right? I mean, they have to go into this game with the same kind of mentality uh, because uh, while the environment will certainly be different, uh, the the speed yeah. on the field will will certainly be different. I don't think that this is a team that right now is in position to be able to assume anything, uh, particularly when they're still striving for that first W. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, um, I think a lot of people who looked at the schedule um, before the season and projected the record, um, I think a lot of people did see 0-3 coming. But then you see these next two games, um, and I think before the season you saw them as winnable, right? Duquesne um, at New Mexico State. But I think now as you look at them, um, there is no such thing as a comfortable win right now for the University of Hawaii. I think they have to approach it as, as a must-win game. Um, I think the thing is, is with Timmy Chang being a first-year head coach, is um, everyone from the program from top to bottom is going to grow together doing this. Yeah. Because I think every member of the program, whether it's players or coaches, they've been a part of a winning team before, whether it's at the college or the high school level. It's just that um, this group um, together um, has not won yet at 0-3. So I think once they get a taste of that, um, whether it be this Saturday or maybe a couple weeks down the line or the next week, um, I think that'll make it easier for them where if they do win this Saturday, they do get that taste and they know what it's like where they can carry that on for um, the, the future. Yeah, I mean, the narrative has, has been there, right? I, I think any fan that is paying any attention realizes the circumstances at hand here, the obstacles that have been placed in front of Timmy Chang here in his first year with all of those outgoing transfers and, and star players for this program that left two other programs and we are seeing them do their thing in highlights yeah. for other teams and that's always just like extra painful right uh, but to lose what they lost and it's not in any way trying to disrespect what is still there but facts are facts when you lose that kind of talent and experience it's gonna have an adverse effect and I think what they are now having to manage here uh, and this is where Timmy's gonna be earning his his head coaching pay here is is having to make some decisions as to all right how much do we lean on what little experience we do have and how much do we then turn loose some of the younger talent that we have and there is some talent there Tylen Hines uh, he showed his speed he was one of the interviewees at practice this morning took his jersey and pads off and the guy is built not like a young collegiate player like he looks like he is you know uh, already ready for uh, like the next level of football just physically this guy is, is ready to go uh, and so he's an example right Chuki Hines no relation would be another guy uh, who would maybe be an example of a guy that maybe Timmy and his coaching staff have to consider all right do we start leaning on some of these younger guys to get them experience points because you have some athleticism you have some speed albeit in the form of players that haven't played a lot of college football and I think those are going to be some of the decisions that are going to have to be made going forward and that's interesting to me uh, because that can go one of two ways and there are all different schools of thought uh, when it comes to that 
uh, particularly in a season like this, right? It's just, it's, it's an odd time uh, in the history of this program where you have all of these external difficulties at play. You have this ever-changing collegiate uh, landscape in the sport of football that's also sort of the elephant in the room everywhere you go. And this is a team that's trying to find itself, find its identity under a new, under new leadership uh, and doing so, uh, at least in terms of personnel, because of all of those players that left, doing so. So from the foundation up. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you look at the four coaches that came before Timmy Chang at the University of Hawaii, um, I think UH went two for two in those or two and two in those hires where Nick Rolovich and June Jones were um, wins and you'd probably chop up Norm Chow and Todd Graham as losses. But um, I think the similarities between um, uh, June Jones and Nick Rolovich is that um, they both had really good first years that went above expectations. Then the second year, um, they both won three games only. Mm -hmm. And so I think for Timmy Chang, um, you kind of you're kind of hoping to go the other way, right? Where maybe this year you might get you know three or four or five wins, and maybe the next year is when you get to the bowl game. But you know it all depends on um, how you can develop this talent. And I think um, you know uh, last Saturday you saw um, Tylen Hines uh, go for that touchdown. You saw Kalana Makaula, um, who hadn't really played much yeah. uh, the first three games, uh, emerge as a good option. And so um, you're already seeing um, some development being talent, uh, some talent being developed, uh, especially in the running back room, where you know we're kind of worried where. You know, Diedrich Parson might be the only guy that gets carries, but now you're seeing, um, you know, maybe up to three or four options for these guys. Yeah, I think Kalana Makala is uh, a guy that we are definitely going to be seeing more of uh, out there on the field. I think Tylen Hines uh, proved enough in, in that one highlight uh, to at least get a few more snaps here and there. Um, Diedrich Parson is still Diedrich Parson, and obviously every defense that has played Hawaii to this point has geared up for him. Uh, not much of a respect at the moment for the passing game uh, for Hawaii because of some of the revolving door aspects of the, the quarterback position right now. Uh, but yeah, I think that running back position is going to be all the more important. Uh, and, and I think it's probably uh, just as important to try to keep the fresh legs out there. I think that's another thing that Timmy Chang and his coaching staff are, uh, are starting to discover. And uh, that fits into the narrative and the idea of maybe you get some of these fresher, younger guys uh, out there, at least in spells, to try to keep as, as much endurance on the field uh, at any given time of a ball game so uh, it's it's kind of fascinating uh, it, you just wish it were in perhaps more beneficial circumstances uh, but I have to say uh, and this is purely subjective and there might be some people out there who don't want to even give a bleep about uh, this angle of it uh, but I do have to say that I think I appreciate and have a lot of admiration for the way Timmy is handling this so far. Uh, this is imperfect, right? This this process was imperfect. He came in uh, following what was a windstorm of bad press and attention for this program. Uh, and he comes in with perhaps what were unrealistic and, and in some ways unfair expectations based on what happened prior to his arrival. And yet, he is standing there, he has taken all of the arrows, he has taken all of the accountability, and to me, again, this is very subjective, but to me, I feel like he is doing so with class, and he is doing so in a way that is consistent with what he is trying to present the image of this program to be. And so, hey, look, for whatever that's worth, I don't know if that's any consolation for anybody out there, but that's something that I just feel like I needed to say because that's something that I recognize. And I know for a fact that ain't easy. That ain't easy when you start off 0-3. 
Yeah, for sure. But I think this is what um, a lot of people were thinking um, when, you know, you had Chevin Cordero leave, Cameron Lockridge, Darius Muisau, um guys like that, that, you know, the cupboard is bare for whoever comes in and gets hired. And it just so happened to be Timmy Chang. And so, um, yeah, it is a situation where, um, you know, a lot of growth is acquired and it's not going to happen, um, you know, over the course of a season. It might happen over, you know, multiple seasons. Who knows? Where do you put McMackin? Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, I just realized uh, <laughs> the, the, the four coaches thing. Yeah, he is the fifth one. Um, yeah, um, we'll draw that up as uh, still 500. Right in the two, middle? Yeah. That, that's right in between of yeah, the two? Yeah. Okay, all right. So it's still, uh, yeah. <laughs> so so you, still, yeah, yeah. you still have some balance there. Yeah, mm. there you go. All right, we have Christian Shimabuku of KHON2 up here uh, in the studio. Josh Pacheco working the board. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, though, we're going to be talking with Eric Shoji, uh, who is a guy who obviously with the last name Shoji, he is part of volleyball royalty here in the islands, but he is also probably well-established as, I think we're all in agreement here, the greatest libero to this point, that has ever played the game. He has awards named after him, and he's still playing, for crying out loud. In fact, fresh off world championship play in Poland. He's back in Hawaii for a week. He was at the Rainbow Wahine volleyball match on Saturday, which was a heck of a match, and definitely want to get his opinion on that, as well as just where he is uh, in his career and, and his thoughts on the further evolution of the sport of volleyball. So that's coming up, but also want to remind everybody to listen to the Rivals Fantasy Football Show, presented by Rivals Sports Bar and Lounge in the Waikiki Malia by Outrigger. Ask your weekly fantasy experts for advice on your team and win NFL memorabilia Wednesdays at 8 a.m. on ESPN Honolulu. All right, Eric Shoji, when we come back, let's talk sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports here, coming to you on this Tuesday. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu, being joined up here by my buddy, Christian Shimabuku. He is the digital sports writer for KHON2 Sports. and very excited to welcome to the show uh, a man who has been there, done that, to every degree as a player in the sport of volleyball. You want to talk Olympian, you want to talk professional uh, career. He is fresh off another appearance at the World Championships in Poland, and he is back in Hawaii for about a week from what I understand uh he is i think the consensus greatest libero of all time in the sport of volleyball eric shoji's on the line what's up eric how's it going what what's up kanoa thanks for having me and thank you for that introduction there happy to be here i mean it seems pretty clear you got awards named after you yet yet you're still playing the game it's it's kind of amazing the, the the journey that this sport has taken you on uh how often do you think about that oh you know it, it's um it's been awesome. I'm so happy to, to keep going. I feel blessed to play the sport that I love for a profession. And, you know, I think about it every once in a while. And I have, you know, I'm so much gratitude for the sport and for the people that support me. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, Shoji is, is a valued name in the game of volleyball and certainly uh, here in the island. So you're back home for a week. What kind of stuff do you make sure you do when you're back in the islands? Ooh, you know, a lot of family friend time, eating good food. I got to the Bose game last weekend. Um, not a whole lot, to be honest. Just a lot of quality time with family and friends, for sure. Yeah, uh, you come back from playing volleyball, so what's one of the first things you do? You go watch a volleyball match, and you saw the Rainbow Wahine against USC on Saturday, and that was a heck of a match, man. I mean, like, the way they turned it around, they were down 0-2. It, it, it just seemed like it wasn't their night. It just seemed like USC was too overwhelming and too powerful, certainly offensively. And yet, all of a sudden, 
sudden, Hawaii puts it together. They start passing nails. They just start playing yeah. with high chemistry. They start playing with a level of, of energy and confidence that wasn't there previously. What did you make of that turnaround? Well, first of all, I just, you know, I'm a fan of the team. I'm, I'm a big supporter since day one, as we all know. But it was nice to be back in the arena supporting the team. I just thought that, you know, a couple of tactical moves by Robin and just playing overall better by the team. Like you said, good passing. I thought serving was solid. I thought uh, Wagner was the key to, you know, the kind of the turnaround. And Amber did her thing. So, you know, it was great to watch that comeback. I was excited to be back in the arena, see that five-set win, and, and feel the magic again. Uh, hey, Eric. Um, I'm a big fan of your YouTube channel. I noticed um, you do a you. lot of uh, volleyball analysis. Um, so yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot, um, if that's okay. <laughs> um, so no problem. Where would you rank um, your 2010 national championship team with Stanford, with your brother Kavika, yeah. uh, with Spencer McLaughlin? Um, if they played a yeah. match against uh, the UH men's volleyball national championship teams uh, from either 2021 or 2022, <laughs> who, who do you have winning that one? Oh, Christian coming out swinging. <laughs> You know what? That is a great question. I am going to go 3-2 Stanford 2010. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a fan, of course. I've been watching all the matches. I watched the, the Warriors win the national championship once again. Congrats to them. Um, they're, they're dominant, you know, back-to-back. -back. I think they're going to go for a 3 P. I I think they're going to do it again, and I'm going to be supporting them every way. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit biased here. Um, I, think that, I think that we would win. I'm going to go with my brother and I and Brad and Spencer topping, topping the Warriors. Oh, okay. No, you're allowed to be a little bit uh, biased here. I think that's uh, – we, we were asking you for your subjective uh, answer there. What do you yes, think would yes, be yes. the difference? What do you think would be the, the thing that puts your team over the top in that matchup? I am going to go with ball control. You know, that year we were just in system so much of the time and it allowed Kavika to run a quick offense. I think a faster offense than the Warriors are running right now. Um, it's no knock to them. It's just the system they're running. I think ball control, defense, and transition hitting is going to be the difference. <laughs> we're talking with Kavika Shoji back uh, in the islands. You were just recently in action uh, in Poland. Uh, talk a little bit about how that went. Yeah, I was um, recently with Team USA, USA National Olympic Team, playing in the World Championships in Poland, my third World Championships. Um, unfortunately, we came away with a fifth. You know, it doesn't sound that bad, but we were a medal favorite. Kind of um, got a little bit uh, not a favorable draw to play number one Poland in the quarterfinals. Lost 15-12 in the fifth, um, unfortunately. But, you know, a lot of good things this last summer with Team USA. We're building, we're improving, and, and we're excited for what's to come. So, uh, you know, as mentioned, you know, here you are, you're, you're still playing. Your brother Kavika has actually gone into now a different phase of his professional life, uh, but you're still playing the game. How much longer yeah. do you see yourself doing so? You know, well, the, the first goal I have is definitely Paris 2024. It, it's a year-to-year -year kind of thing, especially with contracts playing professionally overseas. But the goal I have right now is Paris 2024. I'm trying to make my third Olympic team. Wow. And from there, you know, just kind of reevaluating life, seeing what I can do moving forward. You know, if the body, the mind, the spirit is feeling good and I have the energy, maybe keep going. But for now, you know, it's a two-year goal. And then, I guess, going from there. 
All right, Eric. Um, now that I have you for for more analysis, um, <laughs> yes. I do have another question yes. that I think a lot of people were wondering: where, um, you know, Long Beach State star Alex Nikolov um, opted to to turn pro after one year of of college ball, yeah. which um, isn't very common. Um, but yeah. you know, how do you view that decision? Um, do you see that as um, you know a new paradigm being shifted, or do you think that's just like a one-off decision? And you know, what do you make of the pro volleyball life? And um, you know, how do you think it it will be for a guy like him? Yeah, you know, Nikolov is a great player. He's probably the one of the best 18, 9-year-olds in the world. And for him to be playing at Long Beach was awesome for, you know, American volleyball fans to see. And I was able to play against him twice this this past summer. And he's the real deal. You know, he's 19. Maybe he's not quite there yet. But he has, you know, every skill, every talent to, to, to move in the right direction. To be honest, I thought that that was the move he was going to make. It comes as no surprise to me, especially with the team that he'll be going to. Um, I don't see a paradigm shift necessarily for American players, but for foreign players where that is kind of the primary goal and who's someone who grew up in volleyball like him, I think it was a move that maybe he didn't think he was going to make, but I think the rest of the world thought he would make. We're talking with Eric Shoji, member of the U.S. national team, national champion in his time at Stanford, uh, still playing professionally overseas. And I'm just wondering, you're uh, 33 years old. Is that is that the correct age? <laughs> that is. I just turned 33 a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, just. You live in the life playing volleyball and, and loving it. Well, that's awesome. And, and the only reason I bring that up is, first off, happy birthday. But the other thing is, is you. because you've, you've played the game for some time, I'm just wondering, you know, Christian mentioned the paradigm shift uh, on a more sort of professional as it pertains to college level. What about the game yeah. itself? How has the game, in your opinion, evolved? Oh, I think it's evolved so much. I think you can see it in college as well, just the power, the speed, the height. The jump of the athletes is just insane. And, and for those of you who you know, don't watch professional, from college to the professional level, it's another jump. So it's pretty insane. I think some of the shifts we're seeing are just harder serves, harder spikes. Um, you know, the, the, the term in-system volleyball these days is harder and harder to come by because of the power. So we're seeing a lot more high balls. We're seeing a lot more creativity with working off the block, with tips, with joust, with recycling as we call it so a lot of different shifts that um you know relate to the power of the game and how we can adjust to the speed and and the power of the spikes and serves coming well uh we have always been very proud of the volleyball support here in hawaii right this is a fan base that loves the game you have seen fan bases all over the world how does the hawaii support for volleyball compare to any other place you've been Oh, it's definitely one of the top places in the world to play. Just the knowledge and the support that they show, not only the, you know, the UH crowd, but the, or the UH team, but the other team as well, I think, is amazing. And not something you necessarily see other places in the country or around the world. You know, I'm, I, I have played a lot of places now. I, do, I still think it's top five from the college to the professional to the international ranks. And, you know, being back there last week, I, I got some chicken skin just being there and, and being around the crowd again. Awesome. Well, it was uh, great seeing you the other night at the arena, and uh, great to have you back home. Enjoy your stay, and uh, best of luck uh, here as you uh, ship off in the, the not-so-distant future. Uh, and we yeah. look forward to, uh, to seeing you again uh, in, the, uh, in the Olympics. That'll be fantastic.
All right. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Eric Shoji. I mean, he's the best in the biz still. It's it's amazing. And yeah, 33 years old doesn't sound uh, that old, but in the game of volleyball, uh, certainly it is a rarity for a guy to be as good as he still is at that age. I mean, he is still very much, I think, uh, considered in his prime, which is which is absurd to think for a guy who kind of revolutionized the libero position. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, to see him uh, potentially take the court in 2024, I think that's a, another huge accomplishment. And, um, yeah, kudos to him and his family for just representing the state um, and their family really well um, throughout the the course of these last few decades, man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, he, he knows the game, too. I mean, he breaks oh, down yeah. once Hawaii qualifies for the postseason. He's, like, breaking down the seeding and all that mm-hmm. stuff. He and Kaleo Baxter, assistant coach for uh, 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 they, they could definitely hold a geek fest uh, when it comes to the calculations and RPIs and all that stuff of the sport of volleyball. It's amazing. Uh, tomorrow night, it's Call the Coach with Timmy Chang, 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moanalua Shopping Center. You can call or text in with your questions and comments to John Veneri and Coach Chang. It's Brought to you by Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, IBEW Local 1186, Hawaiian Financial Federal Credit Union, Hawaii Pacific Health, and PAXA. Christian Shimabuku is in here with me. Josh Pacheco is working the board. When we come back, what the bleep? Can you feel the beat, baby? Yeah, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Coming to you on this Tuesday, Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Christian Shimabuku the digital sports writer for KHON2, also in the house. Big thanks to Eric Shoji for joining us in that last segment. We have Josh Pacheco working the board. Also, if you want to call in, you feel free, 808-296-1420. Also, text any comment or question uh, via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, but that said, we are going to produce some of our own questions here in a segment we like to call uh, because we are keeping it clean. What the bleep, Josh? Do the honors, please. All right. Thank you. We'll start with the National Football League. Micah Parsons and Leonard Fournette (laughs) going over it on Twitter after a video of Fournette knocking Parsons over on a chip block. So, guys, what the bleep? Yeah, it went viral, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some people who are suggesting that this type of block, because Parsons was already engaged with another offensive lineman for Dallas, that this type of block where you you could argue that Fournette went kind of high towards the neck or head area, uh, definitely knocked Parsons down. He looked like he was shaken up a little bit too. Uh, And so there are some people that are suggesting that maybe this should even be an illegal hit. As it stands, it is being determined that it is legal. And because it was going viral, uh, Micah felt like he needed to respond to it. And so Parsons said, now go watch the tape, see what happened when it was me and him one-on-one. Stop hyping this. Obviously, he was a little sour about how popular this video was. Uh, and then that prompted Fournette to post the crying Jordan meme, which is kind of the ultimate mic drop still somehow to this day on social media. Uh, but yeah, it was a bit of a uh, what the bleep moment. I think for Parsons, if you want to argue that it should be illegal, I think that that's actually a valid argument. He is one of the up-and-coming stars of the game. I think even Von Miller was saying, you can't let star pass rushers in the game just have uh, open season targets on their helmet for chip blocks of this nature. I think there's an argument to be made there. But as it currently stands, at least in terms of the the court of social media, Parsons just got to take the L. Yeah, and I think um, you know that whole ordeal or that whole situation um, kind of explains the appeal of social media, where <laughs> Micah Parson, uh, right after the game, can just run to social media, and Leonard Fournette can respond with the the crying Jordan, which That's is right. pretty bleeping entertaining. As if it wasn't enough for these two to settle it. You know, whatever their might their dispute might be on the gridiron, <laughs> we're going to the keyboards <laughs> yeah. right after the game. 
<laughs> what the bleep, right? Crying Jordan memes, way overrated. Hey, uh, they're still hanging out, though. They're still around. They're still being put to use. Laziness. Uh, <laughs> staying in the National Football League, Russell Wilson lost to Geno Smith and the Seahawks in his return to Seattle on Monday Night Football. Nathaniel Hackett, Oof. what the bleep? Yeah, there's so many what the bleeps there, right? Like, it could start with, what the bleep was Russell Wilson wearing walking into and out of that stadium? Uh, you could talk about the game plan for the Denver Broncos. You could talk about time management. The decision to kick a three-mile field goal, even though you have a fourth and five situation with a quarterback, you're paying almost a quarter of a billion dollars to uh, $180 million or so of it guaranteed. Like, put it in his hands. It's Russell Wilson back at his former home field for five yards to put you in a legit position to win the game. Like, you just roll the dice with the guy you're giving the big money to. There was a lot of what the bleep stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're Russell Wilson, you can't lose to Geno Smith. And hey, look, Geno Smith played pretty well. I think you could argue that maybe the fact that they won was elevated uh, or, or at least the opinion of his performance was elevated because down the stretch, they weren't doing anything offensively and they were giving the Broncos every possibility to come back and, and win that game. Broncos also fumbled twice at the goal line, should also be stated. Uh, but hey, look, Geno Smith played admirably. If you're Russell Wilson and you're making that big return to Seattle, um, you can't lose to Geno Smith, man. What the bleep? Yeah, um, you know, I'm sure Billy will have a lot more to say on tomorrow's show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it was his big belly Billy pick of the yeah. week, and it and it hit. Yeah, um, but I think, um, you know, as you alluded to, um, it was just the Broncos repeatedly losing their composure, um, you know, losing the ball um, with, within the five-yard line twice. And then especially at the end where they're letting the clock just run um, on fourth and five, um, you know, a, a great video that went viral was Peyton Manning on the Manning cast saying, like, all right, guys, call a timeout. Mm -hmm. Call a timeout. And then, like, while that's happening, like, all these uh, seconds are going off the clock, you know, and um, it goes down to they wasted 30 seconds, and then they call their timeout. Um, they still had another timeout left where they could have actually run a play. Um, so, yeah, all of it was very just what the bleep. I'm also a little surprised at how much booing there was for Russell Wilson. I mean, it, it – you know, it wasn't as though, I don't know, I guess I maybe read into the situation a little bit differently. Maybe there was a little bit more uh, Pelikia in the background, uh, but it just seemed to me like Russell Wilson did a lot of really good things for your franchise when your franchise wasn't necessarily in turn doing things to take care of him, particularly on when it came to staffing that offensive line, right? The, the trade of Max Unger kind of ended what was an era of Russell Wilson having any kind of legit protection. And this guy's running for his life and he's still, at least for like half of seasons, putting up MVP type numbers. Uh, we all have short memories in the world of sports fandom. There's no doubt about that. What the bleep? All right, what's next, Josh? There, just turn the microphone on. What the bleep? For <laughs> what that? the bleep? Where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to steal a line from Keith Olbermann, Dateline College Station, Texas. Oh. What the bleep? Yeah. I had to Google this team to make sure that they're even real. I was really confused because. Appalachia is definitely not a state. But sure enough, I found them, and they're located deep, and I mean deep, in the backwoods. Just like you would think any hillbilly college that names themselves the Mountaineers. I just hope that these guys can get here tomorrow all right because I know for a fact that half of their football team can barely even read the name on their jerseys, let alone read a map.
It's a shame that the only two brain cells that all these guys have left are going to get knocked out by our wrecking crew defense tomorrow. Now let's have a fight tech sag yell practice. Guys, uh, Rebel Yell turned to a pregame Rebel Fail. Oh, my gosh. There's so many what the bleep. There's so many bleeps that are associated with this story. But, uh, but yeah, so that was audio from the Midnight Yell, which is like a yell practice session that is held traditionally prior to Texas A&M home games. Uh, Texas A&M has a subculture of college football unto itself. It is unreal. Like They speak almost their own language and have terminology that nobody else shares uh, in the rest of, of the college world. That said, that <laughs> midnight yell, I mean, that thing went viral. Texas A&M's trying to take it down from every possible internet platform, uh, but that thing went viral, and what just made it so funny, like, first off, it was the worst, like, stand-up comedy bit I've ever, like, heard in my life. Uh, the other thing is they're just insulting Appalachian State, who then, <laughs> in that game, knocked off a top 10 team, uh, stole their money, got their money for being a road team, and then dropped them with the with the loss, with the L. Uh, and just after all was said and done, it was egg on the face of Texas A&M. Like, that's just funny. Like, what the bleep? Like, what the bleep is that tradition, A? <laughs> Secondly, um, whoa, then they lose to Appalachian State. Like, that is wild. Yeah, karma is a bleep, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, when are teams going to stop scheduling Appalachian State you know you had 15 years ago um, them beating Michigan in the big house um, from there of course they become a, an established FBS program mm -hmm. so yeah I mean uh, Appalachian State collected 1.5 million from Texas A&M just to hand them that L uh, yeah it is funny all around Sunbelt representing here in 2022 <laughs> in college football that was a funny audio are we up against it is it time for a break I think we can do one more if all that's right. okay with you guys Go by the it. way I bet that guy thought Appalachia was in Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. finally he was uh, breathing really hard too he was like pacing back and forth he was nervous he was yeah for sure nervous. uh finally Dougie Buckets Doug Gottlieb publicly apologizing and admitting that he reported a false claim about Freddie Freeman's former agent Casey Close regarding Freeman's negotiation talks uh, what the bleep is up with that? Yeah, Doug Gottlieb, like, this kind of hits a little close to home. I worked with him the first few years of the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic on the broadcast for ESPN. And uh, and so, you know, I had a, a good working relationship with him. He, he was He's a very talented uh, announcer and broadcaster and radio personality. Uh, but he kind of went out on a limb on this one. And he exposed himself because Casey Close uh, turned it around on him and levied a lawsuit uh, for some big change. And so I'm not sure exactly what... What happened it sounds like close just wanted an apology and so that's what doug gottlieb ultimately issued as it turned out his sources weren't as accurate and strong as he was first representing but basically what he claimed was that close did not inform freddie freeman of the final offer from the atlanta braves it coincided with freeman actually firing him and so it made it seem like doug gottlieb's claim held some water as it turned out though uh at least in 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 his apology, uh, it did not, and so uh, he had to apologize. It was a bit of a what the bleep moment. I was happy that it seems as though he got out of that, uh, at least free of having to pay uh, whatever money was being asked for in the lawsuit. Uh, but that was whew, that was a close close call for Doug Gottlieb, who has had a few uh, less than stellar moments in the uh, public eye over the course of his playing and broadcasting career. Yeah, um, I had a joke to get off, but uh, yeah, I don't, I won't do it. But uh, well, what, what, why won't you do it? All right. Well, do we have so, to bleep it? No, no. For <laughs> Doug Gottlieb to 
to admit his mistake, you got to give him some credit. Card, uh, credit card. Credit card joke. You look it up. Google it, folks. Yep, that's right. There's history there. <laughs> Doug Gottlieb and credit cards. <laughs> no, working with him was definitely fun. Uh, but then he had that one uh, joke that didn't fall when he was on the uh, March Madness uh, studio uh, cast with Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and, you know, kind of made the joke about him being like the white guy point, point guard or the token white guy, and that, that didn't fly very well. So, yeah, this was just another near disaster for Doug, but he's a little Teflon Donish, I think. I think he's going to make it out all right, uh, but that was a what-the-bleep moment. All right, thanks a lot, Josh. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, get to our best and worst. Hey, gang, let's talk some pizza. Domino's Hawaii is here fighting inflation with you. This week's special is when you buy two or more items, they're still only $7.99 when you order online or on the Domino's app. Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Lehi is brought to you by Domino's Pizza of Hawaii. We deliver aloha. All right, I'm up here with my man, Christian Shimabuku. He is the digital sports writer for KHON2. Josh Pacheco is working the board. It is our home stretch. It is crunch time. Uh, what we like to do is end the show with our best and worst. All right, Christian, get us going. What's your best? Yeah, my best is Mike Trout. Um, towards the All-Star break, um, people were doubting if he'd come back this year because um, he had all that back pain. But now he's homered in seven straight games. He's going for eight as we speak right now. Um, I just think it's pretty cool for all the guys out there who have back pain thinking they can't come back from it, <laughs> Yeah, like he's, myself. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's like somehow fending off back pain. You have Albert Pujols who's fending off father time somehow <laughs> yeah. miraculously now with 697 home runs. That's pretty crazy. Albert Pujols could have been my best, but I went elsewhere in the game of baseball. Uh, I'm rewinding it back because we didn't actually have time to get our best and worst in yesterday. So I'm rewinding it back to Sunday, the Mariners-Braves game. And the reason I'm a Mets fan, the reason I was interested it is obviously the Braves and the Mets are jockeying for position to top the NL East. And uh, the Mariners, who you are a fan mm -hmm. of, right? Uh, and Billy Hull, of course, uh, very uh, famously. Uh, they were in a tussle where the Braves took like a five-run lead into the top of the ninth inning. Blew that. The Braves were able to mash their way back into the lead going into the bottom of the ninth. And then what happened? It was like one of the greatest ninth innings of baseball I've ever seen in front of a raucous crowd in Seattle that's really starting to buy into the idea that the Mariners might be a team of destiny. You have Julio Rodriguez, and then you have Gino Suarez, who each hit solo home runs. Suarez ultimately with the walk-off winner to beat the Braves. More importantly, uh, it allowed my Mets to push their NL East lead to one and a half games. But that finish was bananas. Yeah, and um, I think uh, you know those 20 minutes where the Braves were in the lead after the Mariners blew a, a four-run ninth-inning lead. Um, it was very painful, but to have uh, you know Julio Rodriguez and Gino Suarez, um, it was a very special moment. Yeah, what was yeah. it? I think it was six-two going into the yeah. ninth, right? And the Braves ended up uh, scoring five runs, so it was seven-six going into the bottom of the ninth, and then the two homers. And that Rodriguez homer, mm -hmm. I mean, that thing got out lightning quick. It was like a line drive home run off of the upper deck facade. Uh, that dude is is crazy. All right, let's switch it over to the bad stuff. What's your worst? Uh, my worst, besides um, failing to mention Greg Mackey, that was a, <laughs> earlier in the show, that was a bad snub. But an even worse snub was Ray Seahorn, um, who portrayed Kim Wexler in Better Call Saul, the Breaking oh, yeah. Bad spinoff. Um, last night, she did not win the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. I think anyone out there who's watched it just knows how mesmerizing her performance has been the past um, seven years or so. That show was great. I, I would argue that... Better Call Saul may have been even better than Breaking Bad. 
I, I really I really thought so. Obviously, it had Breaking Bad as kind of a backdrop, but it was a prequel series. Uh, and I agree with you. She was just fantastic. Josh, you're shaking your head. Do you even watch any of these shows? No. Oh, my God. Get a life, oh all right? There's, there's life outside of SportsCenter, Josh Pacheco, all right? There's dramas and fantasy stories to also follow. All right, my worst, I'm going to uh, week one of the NFL. And my worst is the AFC South, all right? Get this. This is an awesome, this is an awesome statistic right here. Week one, the AFC South, okay? The division played the Giants, the Commanders, and each other. And still, nobody got a win. Like that has to be the Giants, the Commanders, and each other, and still nobody got a win because there was a tie uh, in the division. But uh, yeah, the AFC South that was a, a poor, poor showing here in Week One. Yeah, Texans and Colts uh, tying each other, uh, like you <laughs> mentioned. The fact that the Texans punted at the end of overtime. Oh my god! What was that? That's a worse in itself, right? Yeah, yeah. You gotta go for a win. Oh man, I mean these guys. It's like the alphas of all alphas in this yeah. sport, and these coaches are like supposed to be the alphiest of all of them. And uh, and what do they do? They punt or they decide to kick 64-yard field goals. <laughs> like, what the bleep? Oh, that was the last segment. All right, <laughs> thanks to Christian Shimabuku. Thanks to Josh Pacheco. I'm Kanoa Lee. See you tomorrow, everybody. Let's talk sports.